0: and welcome to Carp Cogs episode 13 and today's topic is all about targeting a fish. We have a brilliant guest on today to talk about this subject. He was the former editor of Advanced Carp Fishing. He has caught 650s in 12 months which is incredible. He's the chief consultant of Shimano and he is also a member of PB Products and our guest is none other than Mark Holmes. How are you doing mate?
1: I'm very well, Rez, and um, it's nice to see you and Matt on a freezing cold Yorkshire evening. And if I tell you it's cold, it's that cold, I've actually turned the heating on.
0: (laughs) 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 And we've got Matt. Are you all right, Matt?
1: Hello,
0: mate. You're all
1: right. Yeah, good, mate. Good, good. Hi,
0: Mark. How are you doing, pal?
1: I'm um, fine, mate. Nice to
0: meet you again. Oh, mate, it's good to see you. I'm really looking forward to this. After a read, like we were just talking about before we came air, on air. Just, uh after read Dow a week at work, mate. I've been looking forward to having a chat with you and Rez. This is uh, a highlight of my week. Yeah, it's a great honour to have you on, Mark. What we usually do with every guest, we would ask them how they got into their fishing, what really drove them into carp fishing, what kicked it off for you? Yeah,
1: yeah to be fair, um, I heard... My good mate Adam on the last one that you did. And he was yeah. very intuitive with what he said about how most people start. Most people start with a father or a granddad or an mm-hmm. uncle or whatever. And I was the same. I was, um, let me get it right, I was 10 years old and my father took me to the River Calder at Elland, which is in, uh, in Yorkshire. And very much like Peterborough, used to have a power station that uh, ran out water into the Nen in the 70s. Well, the River Calder in uh, in West Yorkshire had the same. And so the winter fishing was fantastic. And I only caught seven roach. But when I say I only caught seven roach, we all know that when you actually hook a live thing on a rod and line as a kid, then that's it. It is absolutely, and I was, no pun intended, I was up then. The carp fishing came a little bit later. I, what a lot of people don't realise about Mark Holmes is they hear my accent and they see my sense of humour and, and the way that I do things and, and they think that, oh, he's a typical um, northerner, all that's missing is the flat cap and the whippet. To be honest, I actually lived for um, my formative carping years in Suffolk, in Newmarket. And the strange is a strange uh, trivia fact for you. Um, I went to school with John Bannister the guy from Carp Addict, the editor, the old editor, okay. of, uh, and and John now lives back down in, in Cambridgeshire. Cambridge. But we started on the same on on the same um, uh, pool, a place called Ashley Pool, and it was a little where we used to catch crochans and wildies. And it was it was one of those situations. I was thirteen years old, and I was float fishing, and um, uh, uh, the stood groom, My father worked as a, a, a a stable lad type of thing we only we only moved down there because a house was thrown in because we'd never had any money he was always you know if he wasn't if he wasn't skin he wanted work it was one of those jobs so we moved down to, to live in a house and we was down there and i got access to this local um uh, pond and this guy was sat at the side of me and i was typical young lad wanting to reel in every 20 seconds and he said no leave it a bit longer leave it a bit longer leave it a bit longer. Anyway, we left it for what seemed like an age. Looking back, it was probably about 15 minutes. And the float went under, and I opened this fish. And, it, and, it, and the irony of it is, my first carp weighed three and a half pounds, and it was a wilder. And when the um, Keep It Rail Brigade were at their uh, fervent best, I always been the argumentative crotchy old so-and-so that I am. I always used to stand up in these meetings and say, excuse me, lads. Um, if we want to talk about keeping it real, why weren't we sticking up for the indigenous carp that we used to fish for? Was that because they never grew bigger than 10 pounds? So can you imagine that didn't go down yeah. very well? But um, the, the point of it is, is that my first carp was a Wildie, you know, with a with a long dorsal fin, and it was three and a half three and a half, and that was it. And from then on, I was very, very fortunate, because like a lot of um Suffolk farm ponds at the time. I'm going back to 1975. Um, you could see the fish. And what I would do is I would use a quill float that no word of a lie lads would cock with four dust shot. So four dust shot would cock this float. And I used to chase them around by putting brandlings in front of them. So I'd watch their patrol route, then I'd cast and draw the float. And, and like all young kids at that time, Sometimes I got lucky, sometimes I didn't. But it, it planted a seed in my head, and it's been with me ever since. I, I have had a, bit of, I had a bit of a tough time as a kid. My mother died when I was quite young, and so it was a bit of a tough time for me. And what I loved about carp fishing, and I still love to this day, and what attracted me the most is, I called it the Great Leveler. And the reason why it's the Great Leveler was it didn't matter what your background was, it didn't matter how much money you had, didn't matter about having all the best tackle. If you were a thinker, if you were smart, you could catch these. And what I loved about carp fishing, and still love to this day, is it's not dependent upon how much money you've got. It's not dependent upon all the latest gear. The irony of it is is that yeah, okay, let's not kid ourselves. There our are commercial forces which put the price of a of, of a ticket up and make make it a bit more expensive, but a big brain is better than a big bank balance. And that's the thing that always attracted me. And that's why as much as I've worked in the industry for a long, long time, I love to have a connection with grassroots. And that's why I have a lot of time for the likes of Tim Paisley, Lee Jackson, uh, even Derek Ritchie, bless him, because irrespective of their age, they're still out there doing it. And that's one thing which the reason why I'm on this show tonight, lads. I could espouse about all the big fish I caught in Yorkshire and Lancashire before I came down south and then say about all the big fish I've caught down south. do not mean anything to the guy who's got two kids. His wife lets him go every other weekend. He can only go to a day ticket water. He takes five kilos of bait, comes home with three kilos. That's the guy that you've got to try and help. And when a lot of my peers and compatriots say, how can we keep still being relevant to Holmes when we're in his late 50s and there's these young kids that are desperate to get on the stage, I always say to them, people don't tune in to Mark Holmes for what he looks like and what he can sell. People tune in to Mark Holmes to see if he can give them some tips that they can use for their own fishing. And that's, that's what I call about being relative. And when I'm not relative lads, I won't be booed off the stage. I'll walk off to the applause.
0: Yes, well said, mate. So, what type of tackle were you using back in the day, back in the uh, mid '70s?
1: Well, I had an intrepid black prince, which was it, its bare arm was literally a court hanger. So there were no roller on it. It was just a, a court hanger, and I'd. Um, uh, I'm not that old. It wasn't a split cane rod. It was. Um, <laughs> It was a solid fiberglass rod. I'll, I tell you, when you when you, I look like Popeye. It was that ever. It um, it was a solid fiberglass one, and it was white with red whippings on. And um, I look back now, and I look back at my time when I used to map black everything in the in the early eighties. And it's a wonder we ever caught it, lads. Not joking. When people talk about the cost of fishing tackle now when they talk about the terminal tackle, when they talk about the bait, it is absolutely superb. If I think back about the rubbish, the, I'll, I'll tell you a little story now, and this isn't a joke, this is true. My mate in the eighties, I used to make a paste that we used to call a special in them days, and it was kitty cat, and I used to put ground bread and breadcrumbs and make it into a paste. Your hook would go in the middle of a ball and only that would be cast out. And this mate of mine went from Bradford in Yorkshire all the way down to a friend of his in uh, Bedfordshire. And he came back and he said, I found a new bait. I said, what's that? He said, they call it boilies. So I said, oh, right, fine. So he told me what to do. So I got a train to Grimsby, and Grimsby from Bradford's quite a fair old way, and I went to Haysts bird shop place and I bought a bag of Robin Red, I bought a bag of PTX and I bought, I bought a bag of Nectar Blend and I came back and I made these boilies and I put some uh, semolina in as well rolled them by hand dropped them in the pan boiled them for two minutes, lifted the ring out of the pan and there was nothing in there and when I tell you when I tell you that there was nothing in there. I mean, there was nothing in it. So I turned, the, I turned the heat off and there was just a red ring around the pan on the edge. So I rang my mate up and he went, oh, I forgot to tell you, you have to put eggs in. He, he forgot to tell me. He forgot to tell me that you have to mix eggs in. So I'd made these boilies with, without eggs, dropped them in the chip pan, and they'd all disappeared. <laughs> so when people say, oh, he knows a lot about bait, really?
0: <laughs> Brilliant. It was the first bait bait solution or bait glug.
1: Yeah, that bait. Tell, tell me about it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's a great insight to your early days. Thanks for that. Where are you fishing now, mate?
1: Yeah, to be fair, I, um, one of the problems that I do suffer from, and everybody suffers from it, um, when, you, when, when you start to get stuck into them and you get a reputation. Let me tell you, without overstating it, when you get a reputation for being able to catch them, and I come from the school where the, the most important thing to catching big kit, big cart, is two things, time and access. You two lads are working. I've done my stint of work. So when I'm there on a Tuesday, Wednesday, boring them out, you're sat grafting for a living. I might get lucky. You've no chance. So if I then ring you up, I'll never forget, I worked in an office in Bradford when I was 17, uh, a mill as a, 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 a clerk, administrative clerk. And this friend of mine caught, um, we used to fish this reservoir in, in Yorkshire. And if you caught six fish in a year, you were doing really well. And he rang me up on a Thursday afternoon at two o'clock in the afternoon and asked if I could come down and photograph, he'd caught four. And I was 17, and he was 19 on the door. And I remember as I put the phone down saying, I can't get there till 6 o'clock to finish work at 5 o'clock. I remember even then thinking, well, how does that work? I'm here working my pipe out, mm. and there's him on the door catching <laughs> puffies that it would take me a year to do. So that pre-ramble, it's the same these days, lads. So mm. what I would say to all the guys that are out there listening... Uh, and my mate Frankie Warwick mentioned it soon, that there are certain lads in this industry who catch so many big fish that if you try to compete or, or judge your results against there, you'll just get disillusioned. So all I would say to people is what I'm going to tell them now is when you look at your own fishing, put an enormous pair of blinkers on. Don't look to your left and don't look to your right. Just concentrate on your own fishing. And when I adopted that attitude, then my results started to go through the roof. But here's the problem. I would love to fish the likes of Grenville, but I can't get a ticket. And when I say I can't get a ticket, it's because somebody somewhere said, oh, you don't want him," or no, you don't want that, I don't want that. And I always, you know, to begin with, I'm like, oh, that's not good. I wish I could get here. I wish I could get there. But as you become more proficient and as you, your name gets known, sometimes it works against you. And I always remember this. Um, Terry Earn used to ask me if I could get him sorted for a ticket on the Caravan Park at Maxi in Cambridge. Like, Have a word with Mr. Cross. Have a word. Can, can you get us in? Can you get us in? Can you get? Us in? Can you get us in? And I remember taking him to one side at one of the shows, and I said, Terry, why would I want to put you on a lake where there's one big fish that I want to catch until I've caught it? What 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 reason, what possible reason would there be for me to do that? And he looked at me and he went, Yeah, you're right, Mark, you're right. But um and and so to answer your question, I'm on two syndicates. I'm on I run a, a club in Yorkshire, which is the fourth biggest in the country, Bradford number one, we've got lots of waters on there. So i'm I'm basically in between waters the the two syndicates that i'm on i' i' I've, I've caught the big ones from there um uh, and I know it sounds daft because we're talking about campaign fishing and we're talking about target fishing once you've caught Tom Dick or Harry, then you do um lose a little bit of your drive. I don't care what anybody says i um and here's a little one for you. I fished for that caravan park linear that marked it, and everybody said how hard it was to catch and, and you know, and, and best looking fish in the country and blah, blah, blah. And I caught it on a, a, a Tuesday afternoon and a Friday morning as I was packing up. So I caught it twice in a week. And the second time that I caught it, I was very sad because I realized there were lads on there that are still on there. That never got anywhere near it, and I and I still believe this. That last time I caught it, I took that bite away from someone else. And I know it sounds daft. Waters which have just one big fishing, or maybe two big fishing, it's the law of diminishing returns. If you don't catch it, every fish you lose, it's that fish. When you're not there, you're thinking someone else is going to catch it. Um, so it, it can be. Um, a little bit like having to hit the bullseye off every dart and the problem with that is nobody can do that fortunately big fish are now becoming shoal fish so if you look at the likes of Fence, if you look at the likes of Grenville to a lesser extent if you look at the Bluebells complex and stuff you've got 40 pound fish that are in these lakes now that have You know, dozen, maybe 20 more of 40 pound fish around and that, as we'll come on to when we talk about tactics lads, that's a game changer because let me tell you, when you're fishing for the biggest fish in a lake, it acts differently to shoal fish. When that carp has a similar carp of its size in numbers, it becomes a shoal fish again and the way you catch shoal fish is different to the way you catch target fish and let me tell you a target fish is generally a loner and i make this simple analogy for some guys to try and understand it in their own fishing look in a field a group of cows and you will see a collection of cows that are grazing and they will move around together as one however then you'll see a loner and you'll see that loner eating by himself or herself, making her own or his own decisions, and generally just being off the group. That is exactly the same with fishing for big carp. Carp are a graze mentality. And when a graze mentality has competition in there, then certain things go out of the water, out of the window. Reason why target fish have been perceived to be very, very difficult is because with a lot of them, they're loners. And when they're loners, you have to have a different mentality and a different approach. I'll give you an example. When I fished Maxi, as I told you, first year I fished it, if you caught eight fish, you were doing well. First year I fished it, I caught 42 carp. I think that's the big one. I caught 42 carp. But I realised that the baits that I were using, the attractors of the bait, which is what pulls a fish to your bait, were just simple red fish meal. Now, what does that mean in, in, in layman's terms? Simple red fish meal means robin red, blood powder, liver powder, uh, um, uh, 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 all sort of derivatives and meat derivatives. Those are the signals that a red krill, those are the signals that red fish meals give off. So, in no particular order, you've got neuter baits, big fish mix, you've got Mike Wilmot's B5, you've got Squid and Octopus by Nash, you've got Krill by Sticky, DNA at the time had um, SLK. So all the attractors, the signals of that bait, are all the same. So what would happen is, along would come um, uh, bank homes, put a load of bait in, and people would follow me in after I'd left, and generally would catch quite well. So what I did the second year when I caught the big one, was the nearest to me was about seven or eight fish, caught 72. And the reason why I caught 72 was I took all the red fish meal attractors out of the bed, So there was things in there like spirulina, fenugreek, chilies, uh, uh, different types of, of, of soy in there, uh, miso in there things that weren't predominantly in the mainstream for attractors, and that made a massive difference. So I've kind of covered a few points there, but in basic terms, I'm still fishing two syndicates, I'm fishing a day ticket for what I think will be a huge Yorkshire fish, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm flitting about in between the media work that I do as well, There.
0: Okay, thanks for that, Mark. When did you actually start to single out fish? Can you remember when you sort of had that moment that you obviously you were hauling fish in and you had your belly full of a stock of a lake? When was that point when you thought, right, I've had enough of this, I want to get to the big girls, I want to actually concentrate on them?
1: Yeah, I can. I've been very, very fortunate, and I honestly believe it is a mindset. Um, I've never been the man that caught the most fish. But if you, and a lot of people don't know my history, I get trolled and I get people who think I just arrived in carp fishing when I took that job on a advanced carp fishing. Like I said, i had been carp fishing in Yorkshire and Lancashire from from the late 70s, early 80s. And, and even my worst critic in Yorkshire and Lancashire will tell you, Jesus, that guy caught them. But I caught them under the radar. But what I did was, what I've, what I've just alluded to, is I always caught the big ones. And it was the mental approach... I didn't want to catch the small ones, and I had a knack of always catching the big ones. So, again, example, I brought the Yorkshire record three times in the 80s, nobody knows. At one time, I had the Yorkshire and the Lancashire records, you know, and, and, and i never forget, in 19, let me get it right, 1987, I caught a 42-pound, 12-ounce car from Lancashire no one, that no one ever knew about in 1987. It was actually, I think it would have broken the British record, but I caught it from a trout lake poaching. And I'll never forget, bless him, I only, wow. showed, I only showed the picture, um, uh, I think about three years ago, when, bless him, David Simpson was the guy in the bailiff. He died. And when David um, uh, saw it and took a picture for me and weighed it and, and called me poaching, he told me, he said, you've got to promise me that you never breathe a word of this because you know what the people are like with you. They're absolutely crucify you and i could lose my job and and i i told david i said i'll promise you david i'll never tell anybody well bless him i went to see him just before he passed away we're getting on and he said to me he said i take it when i'm no longer there you people might be seeing a photo and i promised him i said well i'll tell you what i'll do david i said i'll show it only in my shows and i'll show it in my book i said i won't you know show it to the weeklies or do a magazine article or things like that and when i showed it at uh, the first show that I did, I think it was a show down in the middle and people's bottom jaw were dropping up. And, 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 and so I've, I've been able to be under the radar. And the only reason why I came from out of under the radar was because in 2004, I got a job in the industry. And you know what I mean? At the end of the day, if you're editor of Advanced Carp Fishing, you have to be someone that's been there done that, otherwise people think you're just a job in journalist. And that's why I fell out with the group editor at DHP because he told me very early on, he said, you're a journalist first and a carp angler second. I said, Well you might be mate. I said, doing your total carp. He said, but I ain't. I said I'm a carp angler first mm. and a journalist second. And that never sat well with him. But that you know I, you know I, the testimony of time has proved that I was right. And I, and I coined a phrase recently about being a lifer. And you two lads, a classic example. You are lifers. What a lifer is, is a guy who, because of life, getting in the way, probably doesn't have the time to put as much into carp fishing, on the bank, fishing, catching. But he will be thinking about carp fishing. He would be wishing he was going. And when your kids are grown up and when your lives are a bit slower then you'll be able to put more time in. That's a carp lifer. It's not a guy yes. who just comes in for four or five years, catches all the big ones, and then suddenly takes up match fishing. No, 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 no. I'm a carp lifer. I will be doing this dreadful sport until the day I die. And when I was running my own successful business, I didn't have the time, and when I was bringing up my three kids with my lovely wife, I didn't have the time to put into it that I have now. But I tell you what, lads, the kids would laugh when we'd come out of the house, and they'd go, "Don't tell us, Dad. Great fishing weather." You know, I, would, I just used to, I just used to walk out of the house, and if if there was a new front coming in or you know, the rain, my wife and my children could tell you they've never carp fished at all, but they could all tell you, you know, air presses dropped, Dad. You know. Overcast. <laughs> exactly. Oh, all the
0: time, all the time. It.
1: And it's within us all, lads. That lifer. And I think that's what carp fishing can do more than any other pastime. Yes, it's moved on now, and it's, there's, there's commercialism in it, and it is an industry, but still the lifeblood of the sport is the, the, the people that literally are the disciples of it until the day you die. And, I, and I've always been that way, and that's why I, I've got myself into scrapes and public arguments and all the rest of it, because I care passionately about it. And as I've got older, I've tried to dull down my own achievements and catches in it and concentrate on being A, a nice guy, but more importantly, having an affinity with grassroots to help them to catch more. Because I know one thing, lads. How many times do you think something's really difficult in the fishing game and you catch your target fish and it's you for it and everything, but you stare down and you think, well, that wasn't as hard as I thought. And that's what I always say to people. Yes, like in life, some people are a little bit better and some people are a little bit worse than others. But at the end of the day, in this game, it's as hard or as easy as you want. And people say to me, why do you go to all that trouble only to tinker about with baits and to and, and, and to try new tactics and all the rest of it? It's the buzz that I get from that that keeps me going. If I had to go catch another 40-pounder, 50 pounder it wouldn't mean the same I mean look right let's get some scores on the door. since 2006 I've had 25 different UK 50 pounders that is incredible isn't it
0: oh that's not bad mate
1: and and, and, you know (laughs) I've I've never even I've never even walked I've never even walked on home friend I've never cast a line out on home incredible. I've never cast a line out on Grenville you know and and all these trolls can say oh it's this this let me tell you let me tell you, let's get some of these lads up to Yorkshire. I, I said recently, I, I caught a 50-pound, 13-ounce Yorkshire common this year from a 40-acre a, a day ticket lake. And after I caught it and I sat back having a cup of tea, the magnitude of what I did hit me. And, I, and I'll be honest, lads, I, 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 I cried with tears running down my face because I'd known about this fish when it was 18 pounds when Simon Crowd caught it. And, and I thought to myself, I thought, what an achievement, what an absolute achievement. And, and, and what I love about it is, like I said right at the beginning of this interview, this game still has the ability to transcend my age, my decrepit body, my life experiences, and take me back to the guy that caught that three and a half pounder. And, yes. and, and listen, lads, I've had all the baubles in life. I've been all over the world. I've had a bob or two in me in my back pocket and everything. But nothing, nothing has the ability to reduce me to euphoria than catfishing. It. Nothing.
0: Mm. It's like an itch you can't scratch, isn't it? Yes. For me, it, it, it... is.
1: And, but I think the thing is, is that you have to keep. I always say to people, it's funny, I, I wrote a few notes down there and people said to me, a while ago, what's your carp angling mantra? And I said, A-E-E. And then they said to me, what what do you mean, A-E-E? And I said, authenticate, elaborate, and evolve. And those are the three words that I've always used in all my carp fishing, authenticate. So I need to know that he said. And I've got to tell you guys, and the young lads that are listening to this now, authentication is so important in modern-day carp fishing because of Mr. Otter. No longer... Can you go to the wilds of, of East Anglia or, or, or some of the Nen Valley pits that were on the floodplain that I fished? I'll give you an example. Alan Taylor got a water blessing before he died, but before he got it, it was a free water called the Barrage. And I'd heard a rumour of a fish in there called the Sand Leather. And I caught it at 42 and a half pound in 2006. So a big fish then. and I had to walk. Oh, Christ. Nearly a mile from where I parked the car. And, 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 and there was only probably six fish in 25 acres. But I would do that because I knew that that fish was in there. i tell you what, lads, if it ain't got a fence now, I'm too old, I'll be dead before I catch it, mm. if it's still alive. And that's why authentication, as I put down, is so important now. And now elaborate. What does elaborate mean exactly? Elaborate means to me, how can I put myself in with a chance of catching the biggest fish in the lake. And that has to be an elaboration on the tactics that have caught it in the past. And this is why I always say to people, the most dangerous angler is the bounty hunter, because he only sees what's in front of him. He doesn't have history to pull him back. And I'll give you an example. When I was at Maxi, them two years, I caught 40 feet of, 42 feet the first year, 70 of the, the second year. If I'd have stopped on their third year and things had started getting a bit tough and scratching times, you can bet your bottom dollar I would have reverted to the tactics that caught me those 75. Because, yeah, it's done it for me in the past. Mr. Cart's moved on. Now on comes Mr. first time on the lake. No history to cloud him. So he looks at the problem that he faces straight away. So your bounty hunter and the guy that doesn't stop on a lake long should be the guy that is doing well on every single water because he's not got history to work against him. So when I put elaborate, what I basically mean by that is you have to look at the tactics that have caught Mr. Target Fish in the past and think of a different way of doing it. And then evolve is simply making sure that if you don't catch Mr. Target Fish in your first year, you have to keep evolving to get him. Now, let me tell you, I put up a picture, I don't know if you lads saw it, um, on Sunday, of a 46-pound common that I caught last year that had an underslung mouth. Water fish. If you get a chance, look on my Facebook page, and I'm in the water and I'm holding it. Black as ya massive male carp. And I'd been trying to catch that fish for five years, and then I caught it in consecutive weeks. And the one thing that I, I caught it one week, and I, went, I always fish Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and I caught it on the Tuesday, and I went the following week, and I caught it on the Monday. So I caught it twice within a week. And the one thing that I always say about it, people used to say to me, Oh, surely you're disappointed. Now, I'm not disappointed because what it proves with repeats is that you have got it right. And the one thing with the modern-day carp fishery is being selective, unless you're fishing for them on the top where you can visually see them or you're stalking them, you throw in the dice and you can fish for only one bite indication on your butt at the time. Can't You, you can't pick them out. So, so when I caught it the second time, I realised what had happened was I'd found the key to catch it last week and all I was doing was repeating the key and it was falling for the same trick again. Mom. So I basically had to move away from that particular spot and use different tactics so I didn't want to catch it again.
0: Mark, oh, when you did the repeat capture,
1: yeah, was
0: that same spot, same rig, same bait? Yeah. Fantastic. So and this pro- is the thing. Properly well, crack
1: code. Yeah, the thi- the, carp are animals that are two types, wild or preconditioned. And as much as boring old farts like me will read the Walker <laughs> days and the Jack Hilton days, and love to go back there when they were wild. Let me tell you something about fishing for wild carp. They are harder than preconditioned carp, and I'll tell you for why. When you fish for wild carp, you have to school them and wean them onto your baits because they have got big by not needing angler's bait. So when people talk about the old days of pre-baiting, some people have forgot. The reason why we pre-baited was to condition the carp into taking baits that we could fish with because putting gammarus on a size 4 or putting daphnia on a size 4 is a non-starter for us so we have to try and wean them onto food that they see as part of their natural diet and that used to take weeks now of course we've got preconditioned conditioned that are taking a piece of bleeding plastic 12 foot off the bottom because of that <laughs> many anglers there's that many anglers there out doing it. And so when people talk about, oh, um, I, like, I, I want a water that's got big fish in it and it's nice and quiet, I always said to them, be careful what you wish for. You know, it's all right saying nice and quiet, but as I'm getting older and a little bit more lucid with some of my memory articles, I realise that sometimes you need Mr Numpty, you need Mr Busy Lake to keep them moving about. I fished, i never forget, I fished, um uh Chad in Gloucestershire, uh, when Terry Earn was fishing for Black Eye and, and Dave Moore was fishing for it, and I was fishing it at the same time. And I've already mentioned him um uh, earlier tonight. Alan Taylor was on there as well, so there was some good guys on there. And Black Eye was a decent fish then, he was about I don't know, fifty-two pounds and that. Anyway, I cut a long story short. I caught him. How about this lad? Mark Pictures was lower down than me, and there was a lad called Simon Mansbridge, and Simon used to own badges all in France and that, but he, he came from a very good carp fishing pedigree, Fish Johnson's Lake in Kent, and all these sort of places. Very under the radar, very under the radar, angler. And he lived at um, uh, shipton on Stour somewhere, in the Cotswolds. And I called down to see him, and I said, I'm going to catch it on a prawn. And he said, well, said, I'm going to catch this fish on a prawn. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, I've seen it. I says, it's been hammered on boilies, so I'm going to catch it on a prawn, and I'm going to catch it float fishing. And they were like, you're joking. I said, no. I said, I'm going to catch it on a prawn, I'm going to catch it float fishing. And I called at um, the expensive supermarket, Waitrose. That's it. Called it Waitrose. This was, <laughs> this, was this was, yeah,
0: yeah. The carps got
1: ticed. Yeah. yeah. They didn't have <laughs> nothing in them days. And, yeah. 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 Co- called it Waitrose in Stone on the wold <laughs> on the way down. And I bought these prawns. I was gutted. They were about eight quid for a little... little <laughs> for, a, for a little tub. I was about to say a northerner yeah. in white. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, ab- absolutely gutted. But I got this tub of prawns, and I I'm, and I get to the lake, and um, uh, I thought, I'll catch this fish, strep pegging. Now, there'll be guys listening to this, who'll be the older guys, and the guys who river fish and do proper fishing where you strike, uh, we'll be knowing what strep pegging is. Uh, a lot of the younger carpets have no ideas. And basically what strep pegging is, is if it's five foot deep in the margins, you fish eight foot deep, and your three foot excess is a bow in the line. So if you imagine A to B being a straight line, and then you've got A, B, and C, well, you would actually curve it round. So you're fishing over depth. So I was fishing... Five feet, five foot under the rod tip, six inches from the bank, um, with a float step pegging, and I laid the line on the bank, and I sat on the public footpath, and I'll never forget. I just one rod, float rod, and I'm sat on the footpath, and Mark Pictures came walking up, and I won't use the bad language, but he said, "What are you doing?" I says, "I'm, uh, I, I'm step pegging." What? I says, "I'm, uh, I'm step pegging." <laughs> What do you mean you I said I'm I've got a prawn on. I said I'm float fishing for it. Have you seen it? I said yeah. I said it keeps coming down this bank. I said it'll be down this bank. I said in about twenty minutes. I said and I think I'll catch it on a prawn. What were you doing, sir? I said well I'm fishing there. He said he said I thought you were just resting your line in the water. I said that's where I'm fishing. And when I tell you lads, it was six inches from the edge of the bank. Not joking. And, and it was down in an hour, in five foot of water, and the line was laid on the grass for 10 yards, and I was sat on the public footpath. And he stood there, he's marked pictures, and he'll tell you this himself. He'll be turning it through gritted teeth, but he'll tell you this himself. He, uh, he'd no sooner said, well, well crack it up, you do all right. There was a massive swirl in the edge. Massive swirl, float under, rod getting dragged forward. So I jumps up. Anyway, I cut along so I start playing this fish. So I'm playing this fish, and it's in all of them down the lake. And I'm thinking to myself, just hold it together, on, just hold it together. And don't forget, lads, when you've got a float eight foot up the line, very much like a zig, when you've got a bit of weed about, it gets fastened on all of it. So I'm playing this fish, and um, this, was, this is so funny, I just think this is true. The guy who owns the lake is a guy called Dave Ayres. And Dave has a house on site, and it's a two-storey house. And the bathroom window opens up whilst I'm playing this thing. And Dave Hayes sticks his face out of the window, and he's got half shaving film on one side and no shaving foam on the other side and a razor in his hand. And he says, oh, I'm there, oh, I'm there. I said, what is this? You don't want to lose this. It's black eye. Because he was two storeys up. It could see down in the water, <laughs> <coughs> and, and, and black eye was very distinctive. It had a white-tipped tail, and I'm playing this fish. And anyway, I cut a long story short, we netted it, and even to this day, lads, I still think it's the biggest UK carp ever caught on a float, and that was fifty-two pounds six ounce. Wow. Two thousand and ten. Oh, on prawn, I think it's the biggest fish ever caught on prawn. I would yeah, imagine. On, on a on a prawn, lads. Yeah, it was. It was strange because Angling Times did. Uh, I think it was i think it still was steve fitzpatrick no it might have been richard lee i think it was richard lee who was the angling times editor at the time and in his summary he made a thing about you don't have to use boilies to catch big carp and he mentioned the capture of this particular thing but no i was quite um i'm the only guy i suppose who's caught a record surface carp and a record float carp wow. so i'll take that as well love. and Flacco
0: is a food snob yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he likes <lost> his weight <laughs> trades. Maybe yeah. if it was Morrison's, he wouldn't have had it. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it
1: the, brilliant. Yeah, but Matt Pitch net, netted it for me as well.
0: <clears throat> that is absolutely uh, incredible. I mean, that is so out of the box. Yeah. yeah. That is just goes against the grain of everything. It's unfashionable. It's probably an ugly way of doing it, if you know what I mean. Having your line going along the banks is so what you wouldn't oh. do.
1: There was a guy, um, to be honest, lads, um, there's no patent on good ideas. I always say this to people, and it always makes me laugh when somebody comes up with an idea, then someone else has the same idea, and they say, oh, it's copied that off me. No, hang on a minute. It doesn't, you know, like I said, there's no patent on good ideas. So what some guy in Essex comes up with an idea, there's nothing to say a guy in Cheshire can't come up with the same idea. So you look at people trying to take claim for the blowback rig or the chod rig or the silk rig or whatever they want to call it. No, no, no. If people are set with the same kind of circumstances, which basically is, I can't catch this cart because, then usually sometimes people can come up with the same answers. But what it made me realise, guys, is you do have to keep one step ahead of the guy to your left and your right, not always the cart. That's the big, massive key shift that I've noticed in the last 10 years. My historic fishing was always me against Mr. Carp. These days, I'm afraid, it's me against Rez, it's me against Matt, and it shouldn't be. because I wouldn't worry
0: about that. (laughs) We uh,
1: we don't like competition, but let's be honest, when I came up with the the salt trick and various things that I do, it was basically based around a linear type of situation. You know, people talk about moving on to showing fish and locating fish Well let me tell you, how the hell can you do that down at Linear when every bleeding swim's taken, a fish nuts out on the north bank and you're on the south bank and there's no more swims, what are you going to do so you've got to try and think of a way of bringing the fish to you rather than trying to catch the fish and I think, without overstating it, to get back to the theme of campaign anglers, what you've got to be, is you've got to be single minded, but you have to be adaptable and you've got to know your limitations. And I'll tell you what my limitations are, guys. I can't walk 120 yards, let alone cast 120 yards. <laughs> so any water where, you know, they've got to give it the big end and all the rest of it. Oh, no, forget about that. But I do, um, I do get a little bit of a kick out of catching them close in. Because I think the the old ideals about stealth sometimes can be forgotten And when I talk about that capture of black iron, yeah, I've become quite proficient at catching him on a float. But I tell you what, if I'm ever half as good as someone like John Offengardner or Len Gerd at float fishing. I'll tell you a little story about Len Gerd, which will make you laugh. I shouldn't have told you his name, but here goes. When I was in my early 20s, I wanted to catch a real big fish, a 30-pounder, and I went to um, Duncan Kay's fishery known as the Mid-North Ants Fishery in the late 80s and early 90s, before Kevin Maddox got it and ruined it with, with his wrong fish. Um, and it was it was like the, the the mecca for people to go to, and he had some big fishing. And I was down there, and I was fishing. I was I was working in a mill in Bradford, and I would travel down on a Friday, and I'd fish Friday evening and Saturday night. And uh, the usual carry on, set up the cam, get some bait out, sit back free rod. Anyway, I'd been doing this for about six weeks and about 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning, this old fella turned up and I'm, it was the days of binoculars, lads, when every time you couldn't you couldn't have a piss without someone having a pair of binoculars on you. And uh, so I see this old guy, he turns up, 11 o'clock in the morning, he's got one rod, he's got a landing net, wrapped round with the, with, the, with the net, he's got a bag over his shoulder and... Um, Walked round the lake, opposite me, Alan Taylor, he stood at the side of me, and I said, pardon my language, I said, who's this silly old bastard? So he looked at me, Alan Taylor. he said, you are? I said, who's this silly old sod turning up at 11 o'clock? And i never forget, Alan Taylor looked at me and he went, you ought to actually watch that silly old sod, you might learn something, and started off out of the swim, so I thought, oh, what's up with him? So anyway, so I'm sat there watching this guy on the other bank. Anyway, sets up. He's been fishing about 20 minutes, sees him stand up, I get my binoculars on him, rods arched over, a load of swirls in the margin, he's got one on. I'm like, shit, he's got one. I'm watching him. Anyway, nets this fish, got me got me bent out watching him, well, that's a decent thing. Anyway, I sees him, weighs it in the net, just puts it back, no photograph, just puts it back. Tackles his rod down. Tackles his landing net. Gets his back. Walks back to the car park. Gets in his car. Goes home. (laughs) We're only about about an hour and a half fishing. What's what's all all this about? The following week I'm there. Same carry on. Gets down on Friday. Saturday about about half past twelve. Same guy turns up. Same carry on. Gets opposite me. Puts his rod together. Fishing in margin. Landing net side of him. Been fishing about an hour. Stands up, rod arch is over, <laughs> P- fish ploughing about with margins, landing net in, nets it, sees him waiting net, puts it back. I thought, what the f? what's going on here? Anyway, third week, I thought I'd be ready for this guy this time. Exactly, <laughs> turns up again. Third week, turns up again, 12 o'clock. Uh, right, I'll watch him this time. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll watch him. So I'm sat there with, with, uh, with bins on. Exactly the same thing, been fishing less than 10 minutes this time. Stands up, rod arches over, wearing a fish. Next a fish. Where's it in the landing net, tackling down. I thought, right, bollocks to this. I'm going to find, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going round, I'll be round at the car park. So I go round to the car park and I had a little Vauxhall Aspera, one of them little hatchback things. So I lift up the hatchback and I'm pretending to be pratting about in the back of this hatchback as he's turning up. And i never forget, he had a, you guys were building us, but he had a Vauxhall Victor which was quite a big estate car in those days. And he um, turns up, very well spoken. Uh, good afternoon. I said, oh, oh all right, mate, how are you doing? Oh, he said, I'm, I'm very well. He says, uh, you sound like a northern chap. Where are you from? Oh, I says, I'm, uh, I'm from Bradford. Oh, uh, yes. He said, is that West Yorkshire or North Yorkshire? Oh, I said, no, I said, it's, uh, it's West Yorkshire. All right. <laughs> oh, I said, um, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions, mate? He said, yeah, yeah, go on, fire away. What is it? I says Sam, um, what are you doing? <laughs> he, says, he says, I beg your pardon. I said, what, what are you doing? He said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I says, well, I come down on a Friday. I said, I've been here three weeks, Friday night, Saturday night, go on Sunday, never had sod all. He says, you turn up, three weeks on a bounce, hour at the most, bang, you catch one, net it, don't even take a photograph, wait and off you go. Oh, says, Sam, he says, um, he says I've, I've set myself a target. And said, that then? He said, I want to catch four different £20 carts. Said, and this is about 1989, 1991. I want to catch uh, four different £20 carts from, from four different waters in one day. I'm like, well. I said, and how are you doing? He said, oh, he said I've been on three, he said, for, for quite a while. I said, well, where are you going now? He said, I'm going down to Vauxhall AC. He said, it's a, it's a water club that I run uh, lower down the valley. I'm like, all oh, right, I'm fair enough. I said so, all oh, right. He says, Anyway, so what's your name? I said, Mark, what's your last name? He said, Oh, right. He said, My name's Len Gerd. I said, Oh, I'm very pleased to meet you, Len. He says, Can I give you a little bit of advice though? What's that? He says, uh, Next time you say silly old sod, just remember that voices travel further across water than they do across air. He said, And when you actually Say that maybe this silly old sod might teach you a thing or two. And like, <laughs> let me tell you, something, let me tell you something about Len Gerd. Len Gerd, bless him, is no longer with us. This was before he got linear. And I, and we're talking about 1989, so I would have been what 27 years old. Um, uh, I, I started to work in the magazines for DHP on Total Carton-Evancat in 2004. So let's, so we're going a time machine. So we're talking about 15 years later, they did um, uh, uh, an awards dinner where the best day ticket fishery in all of and Linear won it. And Roy Parsons and Len Gerd turned up. And Len was always turned out superbly in a suit and a shirt and tie. And this was the magnitude of the guy not seen me for 15 years and when he walked into the pub he made a beeline to me straight away held his hand out and went how are you doing young man and that's what an absolute gentleman he was and when people tell me who is the best carp angler i've ever seen without any shadow of a doubt len Gerd, what an angler and he said to me are you a hunter or a trapper and i've always remembered that statement And I said, I don't understand. He said, do you go looking for them or do you dig a hole in the jungle, put the bait in and lay the sticks down? And that's a very important point. And some of the best anglers that I have come across in the magazine game and in the trade and my peers are the guys who are hunters rather than trappers. The only difference is the hunter mentality these days makes you very, very selfish. And unfortunately, if you're not careful, when you're single-minded, you can come across as a bit of an asshole. Because you you prepared. All of the big fish guys that I've fished with all have one thing in common: they would slit your throat to get to the big fish before <laughs> them. And that's just the nature of of Matt and Rez. That's just the nature yeah. of of the big fish games. They are that single-minded. Yeah, people go, they go. Some even get divorced, don't they, over it? They do. They do. mate. Yeah. They do. You know, and as I've got older, I've just—I'd like to be known as a, a as a nice, friendly guy rather than an asshole who caught a load of big fish. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: what we'll do? We'll do our feature, our Noddy Nightmares feature, where I ask you for a carp fishing fail. So if you can give me a carp fishing fail at some point in your illustrious career as an angler,
1: Noddy Nightmares. It's funny because we're talking about campaign fishing. I have always been able to catch my target fish with the exception of one. And I still have a ticket for the place, Deepin's One, in Baston. And I've had a ticket since 2004. And there was a carp in there that was... I saw it grow from a low, uh, high 20 to mid 30s. And I'll never forget, bless him, he's no longer with us, he died, John Patterson. But John Patterson, I used to know from Wellington Country Park. And John was plugged into the grapevine. And I'll never forget, it rang me up one time he said, Holmes, he said, that water you've got a ticket, he said, it's just on a 44 pound cart. And i was like, what? He said, it's on a 44 pound cart. I said, who's caught that? He said, Alex White. And Alex White, funnily enough, was the guy who held the record with that fish, that bloated fish from um, uh, the Mid-North fishery for a while. He said, yeah, he said, Alex had it on 44 pounds. And then suddenly, a guy called Kevin Grips, a lad from um, Oh Bury St Edmunds, where. He caught it at fifteen ounces, and this would have been about two thousand and. it right, Two thousand and twelve. So, and I kept buying this ticket and kept buying this ticket because the guy who owned it, he had a system then where you paid the price of the ticket, and if you kept in the syndicate, you always paid that same price. So, if you paid three hundred quid for a ticket, even if Mister Newby had to pay a thousand pounds you always pay 300 quid. So as the fish were growing, it was one of them that I I, I dared not buy, even though I wasn't fishing it. So I don't fish it for years and years, and I'll never forget, I walked round it, I caught this caravan park linear, like I said, twice in a week, and it's not far from there, and I walked round this lake, and I thought, yeah, eight weeks, I'll have them all. Eight weeks in, I'd had one run, a 20 pounder. (laughs) And I remember thinking Jesus and what actually struck me was I'd gone from fishing a water that was quiet and they were natural fish to a water that was conditioned by anglers and so I decided that I would stick at catching trying to catch this common and if I tell you that I caught every single fish and I mean every single fish in the lake you know I had my second 60 out of there you know I've had some, some big fish out of there you know I had a I've, I've had quite a few 50s and that, but I couldn't catch this common. And this common was quite friendly. It would come out four times a year and I never caught it. And I'll never forget it would have been, where are we now? 2021. So about 2000 and, right right, Holmes, 2017, maybe 2018. I'm sat fishing on the end of a southwesterly on the point. And this guy was fishing in the next swim to me, lovely lad called Sam Swain, said, um, he said, have you got a minute? He said, yeah, I'll put much up. She said, there's a fish in, in the reeds I can't get to. It, it died. And um, gets the chest, on, and it goes out. And you know when you see, well, I have got people have had the experience, but you know when you see the biggest fish in the lake or your target fish is dead, and you kind of, it's a little bit like bullseye when the wheel of speedboat out and he's lost. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was... Uh, it, it is what you could have won. <laughs> and I oh, the way, That's, you know, that's I a horrible analogy. It, oh. And it had, it had a growth on the side of its face. And, oh. and I thought to myself, I don't believe this. <laughs> you know, and, I, and, and, and you know, lads, it was, wasn't a hard fish to catch. Like I said, it was quite friendly. But I don't honestly think that I ever put a hook in that fish. And like I said, that is probably... As far as fails go, the only target fish I've ever targeted that I've never caught, because you won't remember him, but um, years and years ago, there was a guy from Essex, a lovely guy, caught the big ones out of Wolfham store before people latched onto it and uh, and caught um, Annie out of the manor and all the rest of it. young lad called Jim Matthews, and Jim Matthews said to me once, and I use this phrase a lot, He says, when I'm fishing for a big fish, he said, there's only three things that will happen. I'll die, it'll die, or I'll catch it. And I've always been of that mentality. And, and if when people say to me, oh, he's very innovative, his own is, this is it. No, 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 no. Let me tell you, if I've only one attribute in carp fishing, it's I don't quit. But when the fish dies, you can't catch it. And so that will probably be my biggest fail, lads. The fact that I didn't catch that fish that I wanted to catch.
0: Oh, you can't win them all, Mark. You can't win them all. You haven't done bad, pal. <laughs> you caught about 50 million fish more than what I have, that's for sure. Oh, brilliant. Right, so we're going to get back on the topic. What sort of bait application would you use? Would it be any different if you're trying to single out a fish?
1: Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, let me tell you this. I get letters all the time, as you lads know, on bait questions, and I've been latterly known as a bait guru and all the rest of it, and I say to people, do the math. If you're fishing a water and your mates are fishing a water and you're seeing the fish and it's not coming out, then you know what the answer is. It's not eating what you're feeding it. And that's how I latched on to fishing dead baits for carp. I fished. So basically what I'm saying to you is you must come up with a food that they eat. And if your conventional tactics aren't flipping it up, then it's simply not eating that. And I'll give you an example. I was very fortunate, um, and I think Matt might probably know this area, but um, in the mid-noughties, about 2006, I'd managed to um, cut a hole in the fence at Thrapston Ski Lake. The massive lakes that you see as you come on the Nen Valley and you look down and you see them, you see, you see all them lakes there. Well, to cut a long story short, there's one that won't allow anglers. And in typical home disturbance, I bunged the security guard a brown envelope and he would keep me tackle in his locker. And then I, I would get him through the fence and he would let me, he would let me have my me fish. Now, this is what I mean but about. A Rez I
0: going to get assassinated for well, yeah. that story?
1: <laughs> Well, the, the irony of it is, is that this particular lake, and it's 85 acres, you'll know the one I'm on about, Matt, as you come down the hill, you can see it on the far side, 85 acres, well, I wandered on there, and I saw a group of fish, about 15, 16 fish, and the smallest one I probably thought was about mid-30, and the biggest one was over 50 pounds. And this is 2006, lads, right? Um, so I bribed this guy, and I'll never forget, I got on well. It's a spell when I was getting on well with Kevin Nash. Kevin's Kevin's a bit like having a lunatic girlfriend. One minute, everything's wonderful. You're having sex on the kitchen table. Next minute, she's putting your clothes up. You know what I mean? Well, it was the time when we were having sex on the kitchen table, me and Kevin. And um, I I was using Nash bait. But the thing about the Nash bait was I was able to use copious amounts of it. And I never forget. I caught in a six-week period, I caught fourteen car, and the smallest was thirty-eight, wow. and the big and the biggest was forty-eight twelve. And i had done a brace of forties twice. It's two thousand six, but there was a common in there that I could see that was absolutely huge. Anyway, I cut a long story short. It was I, I weighed it out on a bar, and, and Matt might know that that particular lake is like a ribbon lake. It's very long and it's very thin. And with situations like that, you'll find that they've been excavated to the left and to the right. So a lot of them have bars down the middle. Anyway, I cut a long short shot, I waded out on this bar, and I saw this thing, and it was eating small fish and herding small fish up. And the first time that I used small fish and I cast to it, I caught it on a white bait, and that was 50 pounds, 6 ounce, in 2006. And I think I'm still the only bloke then that caught three 50s in one year. 2006, I had a 52.6, I had a 61 four, and I had a £50.6 common in one year in 2006. And the reason why I kept that common quiet, do show it at yours now and it will be in my book, was because the bloke would have got sacked. But here's the irony of it. I bunged him a brown envelope to catch these fish. When I went back the following year with the other brown envelope, the greedy bastard wanted twice (laughs) the (laughs) amount.
0: What setup did you have that dead bait
1: on then? Yeah, well, let me tell you about dead baits. I always say this to people. If you put a dead bait for a carp, you've got to think it is very similar to floater fishing. It's visual. I don't ledger them in the hope that a carp's going to take them. You get people who catch carp by accident on ledgered, dead baits for pike and that. What this system I've devised over the years is um, to catch carp that are feeding and harvesting on small fry. And the way that you do it is very much like floater fishing. You watch them and you get them when they are herding fish. Predominantly, it's the northeast corner of your lake, which have the southwest winds prevailing. They'll always do it on a wind, and they'll herd them to a corner of a lake. And what you'll tend to find is particularly the male carp that do this. And for some genetic reasons, particularly male commons that do this as well. And I watched this particular fish feeding on them. And I very quickly realized that what I had to do was very much like people that fly fish, you have to fish either on the top or through the water column, not on the bottom. Now, what I realized is if you put a dead bait, which was white bait in this instance. So we're talking about the small baits that are only two inch big, your white bait, you buy blast frozen white bait, right? You buy blast frozen. And that's because each individual bait is blast frozen. What I then did was I mounted that on a paper clip. So get a paper clip, open it out so that you've got a vein that comes down and you've got the straight line. Now, the vein that comes down is the bit that goes at the back of the fish. And it goes at the back of the fish so that very much like a spinner, it's like this in the water. That vein gets the movement of the water. But you don't have your fish hanging down like that. You have to have it perpendicular to the hook. So that was a problem that I had to get around. And the way that you mounted it was I use a VB. Remember the Vic Bellas double hooks? So you've got two double hooks. And what I did was I I put the paperclip through the back of the fish and out of its mouth. So you open the paperclip out, you have the bit that comes down, you put the bit that's, that's straightened through the back of the fish and you push it out of its mouth. You then take that and you wrap that around the second hook, the smaller of the two hooks in the VB. What you then do is you then get some fuse wire to reinforce it and cut it. So you've got a hook here and you've got a bait hanging down like this. What you then do is you fish two to three foot deep and you fish like a big loafer. And what you do is you cast to the showing fish and you cast over his shoulder. You let the wind put a bow in the line so that the fish, like you remember your days when you were river fishing and you didn't correct your line, the drag would make the fish go like this because the line was constantly moving it. Yeah. And your bites are instantaneous.
0: Mm. Do you use that technique, Matt? I know it's, it's probably.
1: Yeah, I use it all the time. Do you? Yeah, I do, mate. I've caught. If I, if I tell you that I've caught. My biggest cap on it is. Um, uh, a fish. They didn't know I kept it quiet, but I had a fish called John Alex, which was 52.14, and that didn't come out very much. I caught that on a dead bait. I've caught this common on, on a dead bait. I've caught a lot of 40 pounders. You tend to, but like I said, it's opportunist fishing. I wouldn't, you know, when people, when I, when I show them this rig and I talk like this in talk and I see their expressions on their faces, I know they're not going to do it. They can't take the leap of faith mm. that you need because very much like float fishing, this is an hour, two hours maximum. So it doesn't lend itself to pitching up on Friday and reeling in on Sunday morning. It's it's opportunistic fishing, and very much like surface anglers, it's it's the pre- preparation work that you do before you cast out. Because when you do it right, lads, it's only in the water 10 seconds. The carp just turns around and snaffles it straight away. And those who have predator fish will know that, that the most important thing, and this is why you need a bow in the line, the most important fish with any predator, and I include perch, zander, and pike with that and chug is if they feel any resistance, they will top it because it doesn't mirror the image of what they're catching. So you have to have that bow in the line in order for the cart to take it and to run off. Devastating.
0: I know uh, Daryl Peck in the past, he, oh, he, got, thought, uh, he yeah. thought he was a load of cobblers, didn't he's he? He's
1: talking but... bollocks. He's talking bo- Mate, all I would ever say, Rez and Matt, uh, and these days, um, Even my worst critics tend to keep a bit quiet. As my old mate Jim Shelley used to say, get your cards out, Mark. If anybody wants to have a look at my photo album, come on, have a look. If I'm talking nonsense and all these weird and wonderful ideas don't work, can you answer me one simple question? Why does the cantankerous old sod keep catching year upon year upon year upon year on different methods if they don't work?
0: I think the theme that you have, Mark, which most of the, I mean, especially with Adam, we had on our last episode is you're thinking out of the box. You're just being different yes. to the swarms of carp anglers that are out there. You know, it'd be something they're not used to. They haven't seen. I think if every carp angler was using it, then, then exactly.
1: they might up
0: to a little bit.
1: It, it, without a shadow of a doubt. Like I said, if you remember right back at the beginning of this diatribe, I said A-E-E. Authenticate, elaborate, evolve, and evolve is enormous. You've got to keep thinking. How can I do it? And I never forget something. When I was a young lad, I've always been a a thirsty guy for for knowledge and information. And my boyhood hero, the two people, a guy called Frank Gutfield, bless him, and Kevin Clifford. Kevin Clifford. People think I'm about a a, a dour Yorkshireman. Well, Kevin makes me seem entertaining. I tell you, but Kevin has caught some enormous fish of various species, and he did well on red mire, and he was he, the reason why I resonated to Kevin so much, was as a young 15 year old, he actually took time to, to write to me and send me photographs and pictures, and he was pivotal, pivotal rather in, in me evolving into a, a specimen hunter and a carp angler but the point I'm getting around to saying is when I was younger, I said to him, I said, Kevin, what's the best best piece of kit I could get in order to keep catching big fish. And he paused for a while and he said to me, a car, because you'll catch note in Yorkshire. And I've never, ever, ever forgot that. And he's absolutely right. And that's why I say time and access are so important. But what I do think is relevant these days is that never, ever, in the history of carp fishing, Have we had access to big fish like we have now? And I do get a little bit terse when I hear people writing articles now saying, size doesn't matter, you have to do it for enjoyment. And primarily these guys are from the Golden Triangle, the the Reading and Berkshire area. Well, they weren't saying that when they were the only ones that had access to big fish waters, then it was a qualification of credibility. Now... Some scrot in Yorkshire or some scrot in Cheshire or some scrot in in Northampton or where have you can catch big fish. Suddenly, the heartlands that had these big fish, oh, we're fishing for fun now. Oh, really? Oh, really? They weren't saying that 10 years ago. And that's why, to me, carp fishing now is for the masses without a shadow of a doubt. And we have to embrace that and we have to try and bring... And educate people along to concentrate on, on what I think are the essentials in carp fishing. And that, number one, being nice to your fellow angler and understanding that etiquette is not a word that you can't spell anymore. It's something that's to be practiced. And secondly, to enjoy it for yourself. Yes. And those, and those, and when people say to me, you know, people used to say to me, oh, the trade hates you, owns it. But, but grassroots, love you. And I just say, what do you mean? They say, yeah, because you give information for free. I don't, I'm not scared of giving information out there anymore. I think that that is the the responsibility of older anglers and guys who've been in it a while. That's their position to be relative. You know, the days of me on a bed chair combing the air wearing nice kit and I'll buy one of these, I mean, I'd get left out of town. You know, it's like, you see these old guys who get a bait deal or a sponsorship deal and they walk on the back mm. look like a Christmas tree. Oh, yes, I'm like, yes. You know, all this, what the hell's going on? You know, you've got to try mm. and get old gracefully <laughs> and get people wanting to listen to what you can say so that they can apply it to their own fishing lads. That's the yeah. key for people of my age. Yeah.
0: You know, you're giving something back that I think carp fishing's given to you Yeah. all them years, really, isn't it? did have a conversation with a named angler. I won't make any names, but uh, he was asking for money to come on the podcast. And we sort of, we laughed it off because we don't make any money from this. You're going to get any lower budget than what we're doing now. So it's just out the kindness of the anglers that are prepared to come on and and just give out their information. And we are truly grateful to you guys that do that. Absolutely grateful. Because if you didn't come on and you all wanted money for it, then we wouldn't be anywhere. That's for sure.
1: No, the, the the problem that you've got is that I always said this and it's quite strange actually because, you know, Shimano do pay me and PB Products pay me and I've been in an industry that's paid me. But I always used to say if I ever got to a situation where that indicator had to go to pay me gas bill, I'd need to have a word with myself, you know. Yeah. Because, yeah. It, because it's a different ball game then, lads. Mm. And there yeah. are lads there who are making a living out of it and whatever anybody says, it's meant to be a pastime not a job and the key shift is when money comes into it then you get a different focus of attention and i just you know i've been like i say i'm not short of a bob or two i've had a bit of a charmed life but i just think that what we need to do is just try and promote the plus rather than the bad sides of the sport
0: yes definitely definitely Right, back to the topic. If someone catches one of your target fish, Mark, how do you approach that? Do you leave the water for a while or do you just persevere on that lake?
1: No, I think, as as I mentioned to you, just think about some of the examples that I've given. i caught that Caravan Park Linear that people have been on eight, nine years. I caught it Tuesday and I caught it Friday. That common that would take me five years to catch, i caught it twice in the space of six days. Mm The big fish will come out... um, uh, not all of them I hasten to add, but big fish will come out regularly if, given the same circumstances, happen the second time as they did the first time. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some fish that are exceptions, and some fish, not all fish, um, so undeniably soaked. And when you have a fish that sulks, they will go off to a certain part of the lake and just simply sit there and sulk and abstain. But what I've found is generally the bigger fish in a lake don't abstain for long. You know, you can, you, you can catch them. But it's about knowing your lake without a shadow of a doubt. that Well, there are some lakes I know where if it's two captures a year, it is literally a time window of two weeks and another time window of another two weeks. And it gets... It gets monotonous. And what I always say to people is, well, why don't you look at the logic behind that? And they'll say to me, what do you mean, Holmes? And I'll say, well, why is it consistently being caught at this particular two-week spell and then another two-week spell? I said, there are feeding triggers or mechanisms that is making it feed in that area. I said, so have a look at your own fishing. What do you mean? I said, well, one of the things that I've done in the last 12 years, is tailor my baiting approach in relation to the seasons. Because without a shadow of a doubt, there are two different types of carp to me, and it's it's all that now, and everybody uses this expression. But nobody used it when I stood on a stage in 2012, and they thought I was talking crap. But that's pre-spawning and post-spawning. And a carp before it spawns is a different animal to a carp that has spawned. And a lot of people misconstrued what I said. The carp that has spawned is the hardest fish to catch. Not the carp that's going to spawn. I always say to people, I come from an era where we stopped fishing in March. and didn't start June. Could you imagine the great and good of carp fishing now, not being able to fish? Mm. April, May time. The cats know. Because when the letter's on, 16th of June, the, the, the natural food was, there the was a plethora of natural food. And that's when they the tough the catch. I always say you can tell the real gravy from the pretenders by the guys that catch them in summer. So what I'm saying with that is basically you need to tailor not only your approach but your bait in a seasonal way. And I've done a a, a few articles recently and I broke it down. I said that in spring I'm looking for a, a, a mineral approach. In summer I'm looking for an insect approach. And then in autumn I'm looking for a digestibility approach. And in winter, I'm looking for a solubility approach. And that's basically how I've broken it down. So I've proved myself with some of the captures where I've kept it quiet, where I've had the biggest fish in the lake in each of the seasons. And, and, I, and one thing I don't like is I don't like people putting tags on carp, calling it a mug or whatever, just because someone has a prowess that catches it. You know, when people talk about this caravan of linear, I knew I would catch it. Because a mate of mine caught it four times in 18 months. He never publicised it after the first capture, but he caught it four times in 18 months. And he's a, a, a mythical creature now that everybody says is one of the best in the country. Well, it can't be that hard if some plant bot can catch it 18 months, can catch yeah. it four times in 18 months. Yeah. And I've always thought that way. Sometimes we literally, are like going out to play football without putting laces in his boots, yeah. we're talking as, and talking his chances down. These yeah. are fish. You've only got to you've got to break down their ecosystem. You've got to look at the difference between nature and angler conditioning, and then you've got to look at what they eat. And to answer your question, the most important thing when people say I can't catch that carp is they're not giving it food that it can eat. And the things that you've got to understand. And uh, I'm just writing an article at the moment about the difference between natural attraction and chemical attraction. And undoubtedly, natural attraction is the way to go because chemical attraction will attract fish up to a point, but then it will repel them. And if you've not got the knowledge that you need, you can really mess your chances up before you've even started. And when you talk about natural attractions, then you can't overload them. You can't make mistakes. So I try and keep a lot of the chemical attractions to myself. And it's funny, I got asked recently, we were talking about the, uh, the carp cast. Jimmy Cossack asked me a question about people using these chemicals and pouring various cleaning agents in and all sorts of smells and wonderful things. And I told him that I don't use them and that I know of them and I know the reason why they attract carp. But it's very, very dangerous because if you're not careful, if you don't understand the reason why they're pulling carp in, then you'll make a mistake of thinking that carp are eating it. And there is a massive, massive difference between you going in your kitchen and you going in your garden because some thug is banging on a dustbin lid. And a lot of the additives that these lads are using is akin to someone banging on a dustbin lid and the carp investigates to see what's going on. Whereas the approach of going to the kitchen where it wants to eat is safe and is what we should all be looking for. But unfortunately, People will go uh, a shortcut to get it hooked. and I always call it the tab end theory. Guys, they've got no fingers. I'll give you a little story which will make you laugh. You remember me telling you about that guy who caught them four fish from that reservoir while I was working in the mill office? Right. Well, that lake, that lake, that reservoir in Yorkshire, used to do if you were lucky six six fish a year. And I was speaking to Rod Hutchinson at a Keeney, and I was talking to him about intense sweeteners. And it's when sweeteners, intense sweeteners were around. And um, you, I, I asked him clearly, we didn't use kilos then, we used to use pounds. And I was making a pound mix, And I said, how much of this intense sweetener should I use, Rod? He said, oh, I said, you only want one million, Mark. He said, it's really strong. I was like, right, fine, fine. Put the phone down. Anyway, Thursday night was bait-making night. Me and my mate making baits in my kitchen. I put 25 milliliters in. Yes. I'll I put. I know. We'll try this. I put twenty five. No words I put twenty five milliliters in a pound mix. Turns up at the reservoir. We did Friday night and Saturday night. I had six fish. Oh yes, six, six fish in one weekend. I've got it. A year and a half later, I never got another run. A year and a half later, I never got another run on that bait on that lake. And that was because they, they pull them in and they would suck it in and then you get your bite. The actual, I always say to people, the investigation, the tab end theory of them sucking in, they've got no fingers, that constitutes a bite. And because I was using side-looking bolt rig, those fish were up. But did they want to eat it again? Did the bollocks? So you can catch fish on what I call an investigation pickup. But your real approach, and this is why I'm never dismayed by repeat captures is repeat captures prove your theory because it can make a mistake once but if it makes a mistake twice then it's eating your bait and that's the key when you've got male carp they're the real complex ones because like in any nature you can set the stall up for a male carp and it will be grazing on your baited area then suddenly a shoal, a small roach will go past and it's off. It's off chasing them. So you've got to try and think of ways of of catching them. And I do, I also use, as well as the dead baits, I use a rubber dub system, which obviously all the sea fishing guys will know. And that's basically, I use um, uh, fish uh, in in ground bait. So I will ground bait with fish pieces uh, 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 and fish oils around the baited area and just fish um, uh, a fish meal, I fish meal boiler, and I've caught lots of lots of big meal carp doing that. And undoubtedly, it's the uh, it's the dead pieces of fish that, that, that they're homing in on. So you've got you've got to be flexible, lad. You know? Mm.
0: so that sounds definitely the key to it. We're just going to move on to our next and our final feature. Yeah, it's our quick fire five feature. I just ask you five easy carp-related fishing questions. No need yep. to panic. They're very easy. They're just yeah. daddy or chips questions. Yep. Yeah. I'll fire away. Quick, five five. Bottom bait or pop-up?
1: All day long, bottom bait.
0: Mirror or common? Common. Margin or middle? Margin. Slack or tight? Slack. Real handles, in or out? You're
1: going laugh, aren't you?
0: Out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you are going to give me the yeah, I'll have them in all day, baby. Yeah, in <laughs> spirit level out. I could just see everyone <laughs> crashing their cars. <laughs> <laughs> me yellow straps on. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks for that, do you, Mark. Do you know, do you know what? what? Of the first four questions,
1: I was three for three. Yeah. Why slack lines, Mr. Holmes? Well, basically because I tend to observe a lot of takes, and what I don't, what I've found is that sometimes on a tight line in the margins, it won't scare the fish, but it'll move the bait. No. Because what I try to do a lot of the time is, I, I try these days to strike, and I try to strike. And I also, you'll have seen it mentioned. In, in, a, in a Facebook post I put last week, you guys might be old enough to remember what was known as the Biro rig. And we used to put a Biro insert when it had been used, when all the ink had gone, we used to cut it and we used to put it on our trace. And what that was for, lads, was to stop bite offs. Because in those days, when we got fish feeding correctly, not only are they sucking in the lips. they used to literally be coming out of its ass before we'd strike. So, you know, we have to have a piece of tubing to stop the pharyngeal teeth cutting through the line. So basically what I'm saying is, is that because a lot of big carps have underslung mouth, the conventional pop-up rig where you've got an upside-down hook would just bounce off its lip if you were looking. You've got to get the bait, you've got to get the carp feeding in such a way that food is going right in its mouth. And I'll tell you, if you walk a carp right in its mouth, it can get out of the lake, walk around Peterborough and come back and it ain't going to drop off. You know, a lot of the time mm. you lose them because we're just, we just nicking them around the lip section or the bottom lip section. No one's looking to hook them in the scissors and no one's looking to hook them in the, in the mouth. When I use a slack line, a lot of the time, that give will get the fish, because they're feeding out on the bait, will get them to actually put it right to the back of the mouth. Tight mm. line won't do that. Now, don't mm. get me wrong, with a lot of tight lines, uh, a fish farts near the bit and it's hooked. I get the mm. concept. What I've found is, is uh, and I remember, I remember when I was editor, I, I dug Richard MacDonald up and he did an article, a few articles with I went down and felt him and I asked him. And he said to me, he said, oh, he said, you'll never understand sometimes. He said, I used to fish Redmire Pole. He said, and I fished for these fish at Redmire. He said then you'd be creeping about, you'd be dressed in green, you'd be hiding in trees, all the rest of it. He said then you'd come another time and they'd be feeding and they'd be two foot away from you and you were jumping up and down and they still continued feeding. That's because when you actually stimulate a carp to feed and feed properly, that a piece of cake could catch. When people say to me, why do you go to all this trouble with these baits and that all day? It just makes the job easy, that's why. Because a feeding fish is an easy fish to catch. A lot of the methods that we use these days are absolutely brilliant for nicking a bite, where it's an inquisitive pickup, but that inquisitive pickup ends up with an up fish. Yours truly is a bit of an old style. I'm looking for that fish to be eating a hundred baits on one of them, got my uping, rather than five or six, and then on the sixth one it's up. So that's why I'd go for, 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 for slack lines, Matt. Okay.
0: Thank you. Good answer, good answer.
1: How much watching
0: to how much fishing would you do when you target fish? So, for instance, would you not fish for the fish until you see it?
1: It depends on the water and it depends on my mood. I've reached a point in my life now, I'm 58 years old, I said to someone the other day, I said, um, you know, you get these trolls on, yes, I'm fishing a 400-acre lake with, with three fishing it's taken me four hours to barrow my gear there, and I'm getting bit by mosquitoes when I get there. But this 14-pounder was put in in the prehistoric time. Hang on, let's back the bike up. I'm 58-year-old. I'm half blind in my left eye. I've got a dislocated shoulder. I've got a false knee. I'm diabetic. I'm arthritic. The days of me barrowing stuff around. People used to say to me all oh, these lakes of fish, why do you fish the car park at I said, because I'm a lazy bastard. You know, I can't, to me, it is, and um, um, what does that mean mm. to the answer to the question? It depends what mood I'm in.
0: Let's take it from your heyday. Let's say you didn't have these ailments. If you had the body of Superman that yeah. you could pretty much do what you wanted to mm. do, mm. how would you approach that?
1: I'd do whatever it took and that's why I'm falling to bits now because mm. I would sleep in a ditch. I once slept in a shovel of a, a, a digger and I fell asleep, and he started to dig up. I'm not joking, lads. On this gravel pit, he started to dig up, and I was still in the bucket when he started. When he started it up, because it was that cold that we used to, and we didn't have the um, sleeping bags and stuff. Now, so you'd wake up at half one from hypothermia, and you had to walk around till it got light at seven o'clock because otherwise you'd die of hypothermia. And then about five o'clock, you'd be that tired, you would literally fall asleep on a washing line. Mm. So to answer your question, I would do anything, and I mean anything, to catch a, a, a big fish. Like I said, in, in 2007, I caught that sand leather from the barrage in, in Northamptonshire, and that was a mile walk. And And the other thing I can remember is, I caught a Yorkshire record in 1984. It was 34 and a half. And funnily enough, the carpenters i have done a a, a lot of Tim it in a book, and it's it's a a, a photograph a visual book with a little bit of writing. And I've put I've not shown the picture before. I put that Yorkshire record in at 34 pounds, and I put a little bit of a story with it. You to put 12 pictures in there over your carping career, and I put this picture in, and I can clearly remember um, I would go to this gravel pit in Yorkshire and I had a Kevin Nash overwrap, canvas overwrap inch canvas overwrap and I had a centre-polless uh, brolly in, in this bivvy and it was winter time and it was pouring down with rain and it was canvas so you can imagine the weight of this thing and I fell asleep at 4 o'clock in the afternoon I had a great night's kick, woke up and it was half past 12 at night and I can remember, sat in this bivvy, pissing down my rain, looking at my clock thinking, what am I doing here? And I was in my early 20s, what am I doing there? And I never forget, when I caught that fish, and people said it was dead, but I caught that fish, and I, when I caught it, it wasn't euphoria, it was, thank Christ this is over. It was literally, and I always say to people, there's a difference between enjoying and enduring. And without question, because of the tackle and because of the waters we had at our disposal, a lot of the pioneers, if you want, certainly I would have pioneer in the north, it was an endurance test lads. Make no mistake about it. You know, we can wax lyrically now about, oh, it was great and marvellous. It wasn't, it was shite. People used to say to me, what's the difference between your summer gear and your winter gear? Extra pair of socks. Not joking, extra pair of socks. We were cold, we were wet, we were hungry. It was just, honestly, I I, I look back now and we caught in spite of the kit and the stuff we went through. But, and here's the big but, you learn etiquette because if you didn't have etiquette, no one told you anything. And if they did tell you anything, lads, it was invariably a lie. Here's a little quick tale for you. First time I ever saw Basil, the famous North Lake yearling fish, Kevin Clifford caught it at £30.8 oz. And he showed me a picture of it. And I said to him, where have you caught that from? He said, a gravel pit in Nottinghamshire. And I trolled Nottinghamshire, and that's how I came on a lake called Bleasby, which is a gravel pit in Nottinghamshire, because I presumed but that's where this mirror came from and it was Yacliffe and Kevin was a friend of mine at the time. So the point I'm making is nobody told you anything so the, so if you didn't have an inquisitive mind, you didn't do it. So that's why the drop-off list of angles was so large in the early days because if you didn't have stickability, you couldn't do it because we caught we very, we never went with the idea we were going to catch. That was the exception rather than the norm. And when I look back now, yeah, I have some laughs and all the rest of it, but I wouldn't want to go through it again, guys.
0: Can you put your finger on that drive, Mark? Can you understand why you were going to them lengths?
1: Yeah, right, without boring you, my mother died when I was 14, and my dad then became alcoholic. So I ended up, literally, from being 14, doing what I wanted. And the one thing... You know yourself, guys, from your own experiences in life. If you have a teenager that can do whatever they want to do, there's quite a few roads that you can go down. I would have either ended up inside or I would have ended up good at fishing. And I loved carp fishing because it was a solitude thing that I could do. And, and like most angry young men, I used to take it out on the fish. So I'd see my target fish. And I would love it when people said, he won't catch that. It would drive me on that drive because of being the underdog. To say underdog, probably too much. But I was an angry young man. And, and that's why when I get trolled and all the rest of it, I just know that it will inspire me to catch more and bigger fish because it's man, know thyself. If you're the kind of guy that needs a challenge then you will rise to the challenge. I always say to people, when you mentioned earlier what waters are you fishing on, undoubtedly, you'll reach a plateau where you stop trying as hard as you can because you've done it. Like football or anything, once you've done it, you've done it. That drive, and going back, right back to the beginning of campaign angler, the most successful anglers are the guys that are driven because if you're not driven, you're not going to do it. I saw... Um did you see the little clip on on social media of um my old mate Richard Stewart interviewing um richie mcdonald on um car yes. so, typography or whatever it's called and Rich, things, he, yeah but... and, R- and richie made a comment he said i am single minded and i 'm not following anybody you 've got to be a friend and that's that's who i've always been and again, I keep going on about um kevin clifford but kevin told me he said mark he said by the time you read something or hear something it's gone it's finished he said because no one's going to tell you something when it's actually catching them fish and i always say that to people people always say to me now why do you give all your edges away why do you give all your edges away because i've moved on i'm on the next thing you know but it keeps me fresh and it keeps it relative to me and that's the buzz that i get from it what i do find difficult and we've we, we've skirted on it tonight. Is I do find the physical side of it start to, and, the, and this year, probably the mental side to be. I find hours of darkness to be tough these days. Not the cold, we've all got all singing, all dancing, kit and bibbies and eaters and God knows what. But I find 16 hours of darkness be a little bit tough these days. Whereas before I, I was mentally strong just because it's it's got to be enjoyable for me now, you know?
0: Yeah, look, I think, Mark, you don't, you know, from your record of what you've caught over the over the past 45 years, you know, there's you've done it, mate. I mean, for, for what was in front of you, in the future, people will catch bigger fish, they'll catch yeah. bigger numbers of bigger fish, but for your time, I don't think you could do any more. There's nothing no. you could have done better, in my no. opinion.
1: I've, I've enjoyed it. I do... I will finish the book. I keep saying about writing a book, but I'm one of those that I'm not um, a serial author. I, I, as I said to you earlier, and we laughed and joked about it, but no, don't make no bones of it, lads. I, I'm, I'm by nature, I'm lazy. I've been very fortunate in my life. I, I've managed to earn a living from doing next to no. When I see people grafting in warehouses and coming home, shattered, and I've always been paid for my brain and my mouth, I realise how fortunate I've been. So when you sit down there and you have to write 135,000 words, and and what I find difficult now is there's so many stories there. Do I make a technical book? Do I make a, 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 a Rod Hutchinson type book, which is stories which people find funny and all the rest of it? You know, so I, I will write one book, but that's something that's, that I've not got there yet, you know?
0: So how much you've been through it, you just touched on it, well, you explained it very well on the perseverance you need, but how much does luck come into play into any target fishing?
1: I think it's important is luck, um, and i tell you where I think luck comes in. Um, undoubtedly, I always say this to people, luck gets you the bite up to a point, but where I tell people luck stops is when you pick that rod up and you've got it in your hands. And I've always said this to people. I've seen so many people go to pieces when they realise they've got a big fish on. It's a little bit like, I don't know, in any sporting technology, I used to play rugby league at quite a high standard and friends of mine have played football. And you'd always see, we used to call them, uh, I think Tottenham Hotspur get the label these days, bottlers. Well, you've got to convert your chances. So where luck comes into it, Undoubtedly, there is a huge amount of luck in carp fishing, and I always talk about luck. But when I start to look at the results, I'll give you an example. Let, let's talk, let's put some specifics on the board. This last year, after the lockdown, in a 20 week period, are you ready for this, lads? In a 20 week period, I caught 22 UK fish over 40 pounds. In 20 weeks, 22, including 350s from four from four different waters. Now then, when I look back, I can only remember losing one fish. So one day I caught something like 440s, 930s, and some 20s. And, and the amount of fish that I was landing was incredible. And when I think about it, there's a couple of things which dismiss the luck element. One was, like I said to you earlier, I worked really hard in getting these fish to want my bait. Bless him, I used to go to the water and there'd be lads on the other side and straight away I'd be catching fish and, and they'd come over and say, what's going on, Holmes? And I said, look lads, what you've got to understand is they're waiting for my bait. I've now established established the bait in such a fashion that these fish want to eat it. And when you've got fish that want to eat your bait, then you're in the box seat. And I'm going to throw a little bit of a gem in here for you listeners. And, and you can tell in years to come when everybody's espousing this, that this rough northerner was the first person to mention this on our platform. This is when you're multimillionaires and media gurus. Um, (laughs) When people talk about pre-baiting and they talk about the good old days, and I've mentioned it briefly tonight about schooling and conditioning carp to take your bait. People, wrongly in my opinion, the likes of Fred Wilton, who were the forefathers, assumed that carp would recognize nutritional value. I just think that's a complete load of Coswallop. The reason why pre-baiting works and continues to work um, is because the initial bait recipes that we used were primarily riddled with opiates. They were milk proteins, And any animal that feeds on its mother's milk, which has an enormous amount of opiates in, when you wean them off that, they go through cold turkey. And it's called weaning them off. Because it's not the milk that they want, they're addicted to the opiate. And I believe it's exactly the same in carp fishing. There are certain ingredients which we historically used, which have now become too expensive for the mass boiling market, that made them addictive. So when you think about that analogy, that's why the results got better and better and better and better the more you fished with it. Because like the crackhead on the corner, he got hooked on it and he's got to keep having it. I believe that it was the opiates in the early milk protein base that were doing that. So what does that mean? That means that if now predominantly people are using LT94 and very few uh, milk derivatives, and those opiates aren't particularly in the bit Now, along comes this ancient old man from Yorkshire who's putting in certain ingredients that have these stimulants in them. And there's your answer. It's are waiting for my bait, not mm. because they want it, but because they're addicted to it. And you see the key shift?
0: Yeah, yeah so when you say opiates to anybody who's not a bait guru, mm. pretty much myself, mm. are you actually talking opium-based?
1: Yeah, opiates within milk protein. So if you look at certain milk proteins that predominantly are acid-based, so you look at something like rennet casein. Now, remember, acidic baits generally are something that, that cart wouldn't want. Because they have an alkali trapped. So they would tend to investigate acidic baits like on IVs pop ups simply because the acidic um, uh, 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 amino acids that are coming off it key chain shift the pH. So they'd investigate and take. However, with something like rennet casein, that is an acid based ingredient. So why would they constantly want to, to take something that's an acid based? Because it is riddled with opiates. And then if you supplement it with things like lactalbumin, which has a high opiate content, you can start to see that those are the baits which get better and better and better the more you bait. Now, here's the bad news. That's why something like The Key, Kevin Nash had to withdraw because people couldn't afford, or no, people wouldn't pay 16, 17 quid a kilo for bait. So what people have had to do is people take away the ingredients that primarily were milk-protein-based that had these opiates in.
0: Them opiates, so were they, in regards to sensory, are they highly detectable, or would they not only be detectable once they're in their system? They'd
1: only be detectable once they're in the system. OK. If you think if you think about it, right, well, let's get a bit technical. You're looking at olfactory, which is their sense of smell, and you're looking at gustafactory, which is their sense of taste, you know? The smell one to me is not the most important thing when you're looking at making a bit that are addicted to. It's in the gut. It's a gustafactory thing that you're working for. And that's why you've got to get them eating it. So that's why my results get better and better and better. When people talk about changing things accordingly, then you look at things like putting bicarbonate of soda around the bit in autumn time. And why do I do that? I put that around the bait and then put wraps on top of it to get alkali into the system so it makes a laxative. And if you want to enhance your own bait, here's a little tip for the listeners there's two things you should Google one is anorexics, and one is laxative. And if you look at ingredients that are fed to anorexics and you look at ingredients that are laxative, you implement them in your baiting approach and you're in the box seat. A bit like that, you can see, can't you? A laxative gets through the system quickly mm. so you get another bite, mm. you know?
0: They're eating it and obviously they say look into the landing net, you know, see what it's pooing. Mm. Um, is it eating your bait? Now, I'm sure in the natural world of, of a fish, when it's eating naturals, I'm sure these naturals are not going through their system that quick.
1: Yeah, they are. But what's happening is, is that there's no saturated fat there. Again, an example. Before, when we used to sit in our, in our kitchens making a pound bait, 120 round bowls, we weren't with the with gardener roller tables, we weren't particularly worried about saturated fat. Now we're in a factory situation, and in order to be in a factory full-paced manufacturing process, there has to be a certain amount of saturated fat in the bait to get through the production unit. That yep. saturated fat is of no use to the carp at all because what that does is that cuts off them requiring any more food. Mm. And that's the reason why when people now say, yeah, we don't get the feed up that we used to get in, in, in the past in the autumn. No, because the saturated fat baits that people have used in the summer uh, mean they've not got to do it. When we had the old feed-up, that was predominantly baits that were milk-protein-based. Now, most of the baits are LT94 and uh, and, and maize meal and semolina, which is, you know, to keep the cost down and to get them through the machines. So basically, what I'm saying, lads, is that if you want to be um, constantly catching and going for the bigger fish, you have to look at a bespoke approach. And you alluded to it earlier on. A bespoke approach, Means it's you and your tactics, and generally that will mean that it's just you on the water, and you get that right, and you will unlock that water. You're not sharing it with anybody else, guys.
0: That's great info. So, we'll just finally round up. What's the future hold for Mr. Holmes?
1: Well, we um, people have been on to me for a long, long time. When's this new bait range coming out? When's this new bit range coming out? One thing which i do do these days is um uh, credibility means an awful lot to me and and people might say i'm opinionated people might not like me but yeah you crack on that that's the way life is but one thing which i'll never do is espouse a tactic or talk about a bit that doesn't work so that means that it's taken me two years to get to the finishing touches and so in april this year we'll be launching the new bit that i've been working on for two years so there's that to look forward to and also what i'd like to do is I've, I've in my time i've caught three uk 60s three times of it it's gone over the 60 pound needle i'd like to do number four i would love to do number four and i keep saying that once i do that i'd, I'd, I'd meander to the shadows but um whether i think i'll just keel over talking shite and you got your book as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah got, got got the book as well. That'd be did, good. You know, I enjoy. To be honest, lads, I love these sort of things. I do live feeds. I miss the live interaction. And as long as, I'm, as long as I'm enjoying it, as long as people find it entertaining and informative, I'll keep doing it. Mark, I'm fascinated about the bait you're bringing out in April. Can
0: you mm. give anyone a little taster of what we can expect?
1: No. <laughs> that'll answer the question no. Yeah. no basically what we'll have is we'll have cheers mate we'll have a new boiler, we'll have, we have t- we've got uh, two different types of boilers, we've got ready made and we've got freezer, and that again irrespective of any company's name on, on, on the packaging, don't anybody make the mistake of thinking that ready made are uh, a second um, rate compared to freezer, not these days the ingredients around. Let me tell you, lads, ready mades are just as good as freezer bit. So we bring out a freezer bit and a ready made. We're bringing out two different liquids. We're bringing out the the pellets and, and and the powders. I'm bringing out some special bespoke liquids that I've been working on because I have been known last couple of years, well more than that, probably last five or six years, as the man who knows how to um, uh, fish liquids. I've seen that. You know, so I, um, I I do I do work hard at my liquids. So. It's basically, um, if I had to to give it a tagline, it would be the bait that carp look for.
0: That's under the Shimano name, is that right? Yeah, Yeah. that's
1: under the Shimano, mate, yeah. The day I put my name on a shirt or on a fishing rod or on a piece of tackle is the day when I'm in the care home and I don't know my own name. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, you do yourself a disservice there, mate. (laughs) People would buy it by the kilo, that's for sure. Okay, mate. It's been a great honour to have you on. Um uh, yeah, the listeners I've loved every minute of this. I mean, the listeners have got to take something from this. You've answered pretty much most of the questions I doubt to ask you. Um, I did not even need to ask you. You've answered them. So anyone who's targeting fish out there, I mean, my personal fishing, I've never really got into target fishing. I'm one of these anglers that just like to catch as many fish as I can get on the bank. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe when I get perhaps close to retirement, and I can put the devotion on a syndicate late, then I definitely will be going down the targeting route. Anyone who's, who is deciding to do that, the information you've poured out there, it's second to none, and I'm sure the listeners are going to absolutely love it. So I would just like to say thank you again, Mark. You've been an absolute star. Brilliant. Cheers, guys. You take care, of. Thank you, Matt. Uh, pleasure's, pleasure's all mine. It's been wonderful just listening to Mark. Thank you to the listeners, and we'll all see you again on the next episode of Carb Cogs.